reading from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them heard them speaking in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed and said, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the crowd, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your, young men, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall sow wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I need Pentecost. I need Pentecost. It's only one day in the year. In the whole of the Christian year, we celebrate the day of Pentecost, but I need it, and I would argue I think I need it every Sunday. Every Sunday, for me, needs to be Pentecost Sunday. And it really is if we listen to the liturgy, because all the way through our liturgy, we hear a Trinitarian formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, constantly calling upon God the Holy Spirit. And yet, I don't know about you, but do you find that though our liturgy is steeped with all this Trinitarian language, we get the Holy Spirit in there all over the place, that in our daily living, the Holy Spirit is often the missing person of the Holy Trinity in our lives. At least that's my experience again and again. That as I look at my life, I say, am I, am I personally encountering the power of the Holy Spirit? Am I personally encountering the empowering presence of God? Sometimes I feel like the church can talk a lot about the Holy Spirit and yet be missing the Holy Spirit in our actual living. It's a little bit like those two boys. You know, they've been acting terribly throughout town, just harassing the whole town. They've been stealing and thieving and getting into all kinds of business. And finally, mom's had the end of it. And she says, I'm taking you to see the priest. Now this, you know, should put fear into anyone, I suppose. So she brings the two boys to church and, and she leaves one out in the narthex and puts one in the front pew. It's sort of a divide and conquer strategy. And the priest walks up to the first boy in the pew and says, where is God? And the boy's eyes get really big. 
And the priest again, no response, says, where is God? The boy's eyes get even bigger. And third time, where is God? The kid stands up, bolts to the narthex, grabs his brother and says, we're out of here. We're in big trouble this time. God is missing and they think we did it. But the Holy Spirit is not really missing in our lives, but often we are missing an encounter, an experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I need Pentecost. I need Pentecost because I want to live like a Christian. I want to live on mission. You know, as we walk through this Easter season, Jesus, before his ascension, last Sunday we looked at it, he gives the church their standing orders, right? He says, repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in my name to all nations, and you are my witnesses. I mean, he's declaring over the church that there's a mission to be done, and there's no plan B. It's us. We're the ones that are going to go out there and share this with the world. And so there's immediately that sense, man, that mission is too big for us. But he makes that promise, he says, in Luke 24, he says, but behold, I'm sending on you the promise of my father and wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. We desire and need that promise of the father, the Holy Spirit to come and do the work on our lives so we can actually live into this mission. But you know what's interesting about the idea of mission is as, I, as we think about it more and we think, oh man, that mission is too big for us. Well, let, let me make it even a little harder. How do we define mission? I mean, it's, it's interesting. We regularly, and I think we're pretty good at recognizing that mission is not just something that happens overseas in another place, right? We recognize there's global mission and there's local mission. There's mission in the city. Today, we'll be commissioning a team that's going to Guatemala this, this next Saturday. And so we're getting on an airplane to go and do mission work. And it's going to be an amazing time. And I, I'm going with them. And uh, I'm not quite sure how I commission myself, but we'll figure that out today. Um, the point being that that's an example of mission. It's a short-term mission. And yet, though that is a huge part of what mission can be for our lives, we all know that by going on that mission, it, it's really about us having our hearts changed while on that mission. So that when we come home, we're better enabled to live mission right here. I mean, all of a sudden, if we start defining mission as every part of our lives, if there is no part of yours or my life that God is not saying that is part of the mission field, home, work, everything you do, it's all about giving glory to God. I was, I was working through this this week and I came up with this phrase. It needs some wordsmithing. But I was trying to give a, a fresh definition, just for me, of mission. What is, Paul, when you say mission, what do you mean? And I want to kind of put this, I think, on a plaque in my office. i got to wordsmith it a bit, but this is what I came up with. Mission is to live so much like Jesus that people around me are drawn closer to God. To live so much like Jesus that people around me are drawn closer to God. I mean, all of a sudden, if that's the definition of mission, I really need the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's even bigger, isn't it? My, my whole life as part of what is meant to be the mission field that God is going to work in. I need Pentecost. In our text today, what's amazing is we see the Holy Spirit poured out on that day of Pentecost. 
And, and the Holy Spirit does what he always does in that day. He empowers, he gives ability, he makes it possible. He makes what's impossible in our lives suddenly possible. And this Holy Spirit empowers Christians with both their ability to communicate and also empowers Christians in their character. Communication and character. First, what we got to say, it starts with Christians. And when I say the Holy Spirit empowers Christians, what I mean is all Christians. See, it's easy within the life of the church um, because we often divide amongst our traditions on the role of the Holy Spirit. There can be that question of when and how is the Holy Spirit poured out? Right? And wet, wet, wet baptism, dry baptism, second baptism, people argue about all this kind of stuff, right? And if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're blessed. But the point is, those are the arguments that happen in the life of the church. What I love in this text is it says that all of the Christians, all the believers there are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's that wonderful word, all, that comes up again and again and again in this text. Look in verse 1. Verse 1 of our text. We're in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they all... All the disciples were together. Verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on all of them, each one of them. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You jump to the Joel quote that Peter uses in verse 17. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he goes through all the different categories, sons and daughters, young, old, slave, free, male, female. It's for all of us. And so just to begin, we need to make sure that we understand the gift of the Holy Spirit is not poured out on just some particular people for a particular time. It's poured out on all Christians. You know, there's a beautiful promise in Scripture. If you ever wonder, if you're ever saying, man, you know, I know I'm a Christian, but I really don't know you know, maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't really moved into my life. Well, guess what? Here's a promise. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, no one can say those words. If it's truly on your heart, Jesus is Lord. If you can say that and truly mean it, then that means you've got the Holy Spirit there because the Holy Spirit was the one that got your heart softened and corrected and prepared to actually be able to say those words. If you can say Jesus is Lord, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. That same spirit that was poured out in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It is truly for all believers. But the mystery though, and I... I, I this is where it gets hard, is though we all have the Holy Spirit poured on us on believers, and we say, well, if that's the case, then why are there so many examples in my own life and sadly in the life of the church worldwide and through the ages where we don't really see a Spirit-empowered church or a Spirit-empowered Christian? I mean, what gives? I thought you said it's poured out on all. Well, we have to balance this 1 Corinthians 12, 3 passage with 1 Thessalonians 5.19, where Paul also says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. In other words, somehow in the mystery of God, we have, if we are Christians, been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence, and yet we can quench that Spirit. Through our actions, through our attitudes, through our sin, we can quench the Spirit. We can push the Spirit aside. The Spirit hasn't gone anywhere. We just have stopped listening and stopped living in His power. 
I don't know about you, but in my life, when I think about how do I quench the spirit, certainly when I refuse to repent of something, that's quenching the spirit. If there's something in my life that I'm just hanging on to and refusing to let go of, right, that's going to quench the spirit of my life. Sometimes I'm going to quench the spirit of my life when I'm refusing to forgive. You know, I get angry about someone, someone hurts me, and I'm just going to hang on to that for a little while. And I tell her, oh, no, I'm fine, but I'm hanging on to it. Well, in my life, I've experienced it again and again. That's, that's an example of me quenching the spirit. I'm refusing to forgive. But, you know, for me, one of the, one of the most common ways is when I, I, I decide that I've got control over everything. That's one of my favorite ways, uh, or non-favorite ways, but most common ways of quenching the spirit. When it's all about me being in control, right? No, 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 I got this. It's fine. I got complete control over everything. I mean, I'm not allowing God to be God, I'm not allowing God to move in my life and say, no, no, I've actually got an opinion about your life. The point is that we as Christians all have been given this gift of the Holy Spirit. But on the day of Pentecost, we see the Spirit enable these Christians to communicate. I mean, that's, I think, the first thing we see which is, is, is fascinating. Um, he empowers them to communicate, to share the gospel. Look at verse 12. After um, all these different nations that are in Jerusalem hear them speaking in their own tongues, that's, that's, that's verses 5 to 11. In verse 12, all of those people together standing in Jerusalem who've hear, heard these, 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 these disciples speak in their own native languages, they say, what does this mean? And I think oftentimes when we talk about the gift of tongues in the church, that's usually our response. What does this mean? And, and again, Christians divide over this. Now, let me be clear, just to be, to be very clear, not in any way for me to downplay the reality of the miracle of uh, the speaking in tongues. I, I know Christians, especially when I've traveled in other parts of, of the Anglican communion, especially in Africa and other places, I cannot stand before you in any way and negate the miracle for today. I've seen the book of Acts and the manifestations of the Spirit take place again and again in the life of the church. So just hear that. No way negating that miracle for today. But here's what I think is going on, though, in Acts chapter 2. What happens in Acts chapter 2 is less about them having this gift of tongues as it is empowering them to communicate the gospel. And here's what I mean by that. Okay, here's the disciples in Jerusalem. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's given them their mission, all right? You're going to preach this gospel to the whole world, all nations. And all of a sudden, we've got all those nations right there. I mean, literally, they walk out the door, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're told there's Parthian and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Cappadocia and Judea and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And uh, what's the last one? Residents of uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. They're supposed to be very, very impressed, by the way. Um, and... The, the point is that this list of the nations, they're right there on their doorstep. Doesn't it feel like that in Plano lately? I mean, seriously, we've got the whole world on our doorstep. Like, here's all these different nations right here. And, and, and by the way, when I say nations, just as a side note, I think more and more we need to recognize it's not just about people groups or languages or places. It's also about worldviews. I mean, more and more what we're seeing are these different worldviews that are being brought to bear in our, in our culture. And here, here's, here's, the, here's the truth. Here's the challenge. 
Jesus and his gospel, where he dies and rises again, bearing our sins, defeating death, all that we celebrate at this altar every week. This is the ultimate answer, we believe, to every hope and fear and joy and dream that any nation or any worldview would ever have. I mean, that is truly the gospel, that it is for every, it is the answer for every worldview and every nation. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. They walk out the door. All the nations are there. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Empowers them for the mission. And therefore, he opens their mouths and gives them the ability to supernaturally communicate with each one of these people groups. I mean, what verses 5 to 11 is really about is God literally giving them the words to be able to share the gospel with every nation and every worldview that they encounter. And so that is the promise for us. The promise for us is that God will give us the words by the power of the Holy Spirit, enable us to communicate the gospel. Isn't that what Jesus promised back in Luke chapter 12? In Luke chapter 12, verse 11, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, when they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I mean, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will empower you to communicate, give you the words. I mean, we see this in so many ways. Uh, This fall, for example, I mean, talk about different worldviews. This includes speaking into different generations. This fall, we're launching a new program. Uh, We're actually expanding a current program, uh, empowering parents more and more. We've, we've run partnering with parents seminars with Dr. Ken Wilgus for many years, um, but this fall, rather than it happening like four times a year, we're going to have a monthly partnering with parents seminar where parents can come together and say, what does it look like on a Sunday afternoon to really try to raise our kids as Christian parents? And we're going to go even further. After that monthly gathering on Sundays, every week on Wednesday nights, we're going to have parents be able to gather at a parent's cafe and talk through what does it mean for us to raise our kids as Christians. That's asking the Holy Spirit, give us the words to communicate to our children, to another generation. This is what God, the Holy Spirit, does. And he does it in this day. I I was at a, Monica and I were at a a dinner party not long ago. And I don't know if you've been in those moments um, where, you know, you're, you're sort of asking, oh Lord, how can I possibly be a witness and maybe bring the gospel in and then it just gets shut down in front of you right Um, we were sitting across the the table from this couple lovely couple but like in the first few moments she indicated clearly like we are atheists and basically we are not interested in talking about Christianity I mean this happens to me occasionally on airplanes I'll get on the plane and if I'm wearing my collar it's just like it's a conversation starter or it's a conversation ender. I had a guy not long ago, I got on a plane a few years ago, sat down with my collar on, he took one look at me, grabbed his newspaper, and literally turned sideways in the seat. I mean, this, this woman and this couple really just shut down the conversation. They were not interested in talking about Jesus. And so I'm going, all right, I, I, I guess we're going to talk about wine and cheese. I don't know what we're going to talk about tonight. And in my head... I had a phrase come through my mind. And it was one of those moments where I just thought, I think this is from God. It's just a phrase. It's not my own words. It was just a phrase that came to mind. And it was just sort of stuck there. And so finally, I just said out loud what was in my head. I said, because they had a little baby they were talking about, I said, I said, do you want to raise your baby in such a way that she believes 
that her value is completely based on what she does and earns in this world. I mean, really, it's the question of grace. It's asking, do you want to raise your kid in a merit-based world or a grace-based family? And, and I just, it was the phrase in my head, and I said it, and I kind of let it linger out there. And I'll tell you, that turned the whole conversation around. For the next hour and a half, the whole table was talking about Jesus. And that wasn't me. That was God, the Holy Spirit, giving the words, the power to communicate. But not only does he give us the power to communicate, empowers us to communicate, but he also then empowers our character, which I would argue is more important. I mean, the words are important, but we are part of, we are integrally worked in with the message. If our character is not solid, our words will mean nothing, right? The Holy Spirit comes and works on our character, builds on our character, forms and reshapes our character. And we see that if we look at verse one, when the day of Pentecost arrived, and you want to say, okay, great, Pentecost, what does that mean? It's a particular day. Let me, let me just share this with you. Pentecost is not something that started the day the Holy Spirit was poured out here. Pentecost was a festival that went a long way back. It was a Jewish festival, also known as the Feast of Weeks. And when you understand what the Jewish festival was celebrating, all of a sudden you realize that this is all about character formation. Let me show what I mean. The Holy Spirit forms character. Day of Pentecost. God chooses these moments perfectly. See, the day of Pentecost celebrated a moment in time. There was a moment in time where God grabbed his people, his chosen people, Israel. And when we say chosen people, really what we mean by that is God had a display people. He had a people he was going to put on display to the world. The, the world would look at Israel, would look at this display people, and because they looked at them would say, wow, there's something different about the way you live your lives. There's something different about the way you work and the way you care for your neighbor. Who is your God? How have you come to this place? These display people would point people to God. But in order for them to actually live this way, the question is, how do we live as a display people? What does it look like? Well, God brings them to the base of a mountain, Mount Sinai. He's just rescued them out of Egypt, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, and on that day, he gives them the Ten Commandments, right? And he gives them more than the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. He gives them the whole of the law, which is really a picture saying, here's how I want you to live. Here's what it's going to look like for you to live differently in this world, right? And he pours it out. But listen to the language that was described on the day of Pentecost, when God is giving out this formation, this call. In, in Exodus 19, verse 16, we read these words. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. So the point of this is that God meets Israel in noise and fire on Sinai. And to celebrate that moment of God giving the law in, mo, in, in noise and fire, they celebrate this feast called Pentecost, year after year. Now, what the difficulty is, is they could go through the feast of Pentecost year after year, and they could, like you and me, say, but, you know, I, I know how I'm supposed to live, 
God's given us his law, but I just don't seem to be able to live it. I mean, remember what happened after Moses got the law, right? What happens when Charlton Heston brings down the Ten Commandments to the bottom of the mountain, right? They're worshiping a golden calf, and so he breaks the tablets. And I remember for years, I thought Moses is having a little hissy fit, right? He's upset. He's angry. I'm sure he was angry, but really he's being prophetic. When he breaks those tablets there at the base of the mountain, he's being prophetic. He's saying, look at these. I haven't even spoken to you the words that God has written here, and you have already broken them. And you will forever continue to break these because this call on your life is too big for you. And so you realize Pentecost after Pentecost after Pentecost, they celebrate noise and fire, the giving of the law, and it still isn't working on their hearts. And the prophet Ezekiel, after many, many years, prophesies that a day is coming where finally, maybe, maybe things will change. He says in Ezekiel 36, these amazing words, he says, I will give you a new heart, God speaks. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Do you hear what he's saying there? God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel that a day is coming when he says, I'm going to put a new, my own spirit in you. And when I do that, I will enable you to finally live my law, to finally begin to live as my people. He will empower them to live with new character. And do you hear this? On the day of Pentecost, after Jesus' ascension, verse 1 tells us, when Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven noise and fire, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, it's Pentecost. It's noise and fire. They're back at Mount Sinai. God is giving them the law again, but this time, according to Ezekiel, on this Pentecost, he's putting it right on their hearts. No longer tablets of stone. He's writing it on our hearts because his spirit is now within us. Do you hear this? God is giving us new character. God, by the Holy Spirit, enables us to live better. Do you ever feel like you're, you're hitting a wall? You're like, Lord, I want to be better. I want to do better. The Holy Spirit is given for that purpose. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to reform and change our character, to enable us to live differently. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Character again and again is what will be built in the people of God as the Holy Spirit breathes and moves in our lives more and more. Character character transformation. I was um, out shopping yesterday with uh, our eldest daughter and uh, we were sort of talking about things and in our, in our house right now, um, our, our girls are really, really into musicals. Um, I wonder why, right? Where do they get that from? They're really into musicals. So Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen and all these Broadway musicals are going. And I just said in that moment, we're driving in the car and I said, hey, I said, Annabelle, have you ever thought like, what would it be like if your dad hadn't changed professions. If we, you know, I was still an actor. I was, you know, we're living in New York and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Broadway actor and that, that would be your dad. And, and she didn't miss a beat. She'd say, yeah, you'd probably be a drug addict and self-absorbed. <laughs> I 
Probably, I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's the truth. Now again, just as a note, like actors can be faithful Christians, there's a wonderful ability. But for me, in my life, God had to do a real transformation in my life, really had to turn me around, and she's probably right. There was a whole lot of being self-absorbed in my life. And as she said that to me, at one level, it was kind of complimentary, like, oh, I, I, I guess I'm not a drug addict and I'm not self-absorbed. Um, but at the same time, you know, as soon as she said self-absorbed, I thought, really? I mean, I, that, that's, that's complimentary, but there's a lot of brokenness in me. There's a lot that the Lord still needs to work in me. And, and it made me ask, okay, Lord, I, I, okay, I'm a Christian. I've got the Holy Spirit. I know that. And I, and I know you're empowering me to have the words to communicate the mission. But Lord, I need you to continue to build the character in me for the mission. I need you to empower me. And you know, it's interesting. I think one of the most common ways we can quench the spirit is by not asking. One of the most common ways we can quench the spirit is not asking the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. Not asking him to come and do the character transformation. In the moments of our brokenness, in the moments of our need, in the moments when we find ourselves hitting the wall, are we asking, oh Holy Spirit, would you come and would you reform my character today? Would you breathe on me afresh? Would you, Holy Spirit, come? I do not want to quench you any longer. Come and do the character formation. I know you'll give me the words, but Lord, also give me the character. Change my heart. Are you quenching the spirit? Am I quenching the spirit? I need Pentecost. I need to ask. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Meld me, mold me, Fail me, use me, spirits of the living God. Don't quench him. Fall afresh on me. It's Pentecost. Ask. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.